Today we meet in an important section of the Word of God. We are beginning now in the book of Isaiah. But before we actually go into the book of Isaiah itself, we will make the introduction to that book. But in making that introduction, I also make an introduction to prophecy in general. Now, the second division of the Hebrew Bible was known as the prophets, and it consisted of the former prophets and the latter prophets. The former prophets were actually the historical books of Joshua, Judges, Samuel, and the kings. These books chronicled God's dealing with the theocratic nation from the time of Joshua to Babylonian captivity. Thus they furnished the background to the writing prophets. The latter prophets are Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and the twelve minor prophets. Now, the term latter speaks more of their place in the canon than of chronology. These prophets left written records of their ministry, but the oral prophets like Nathan, Ahijah, Edo, Jehu, Elijah, Elisha, Obedi, Shemeiah, Azariah, Hanani, Jehaziel, and Huldah. These left no record that survived. Now, the writing prophets were later then divided into the major and minor prophets as we know them today. The major prophets were so designated because of their greater length, not to say that they were more important. Of course, Lamentations is accepted. The reason is because it needed to be close to Jeremiah. Now, beginning with Isaiah and continuing through the Old Testament, there is the prophetic section of Scripture. Again, that does not mean that prophecy begins with Isaiah, because there are prophets, and there are prophecies as far back as the Pentateuch, which was written by Moses. Although the predictive element bulks large in this section, the prophets were more than foretellers. They were men raised up by God in a decadent day when neither priest nor king was a worthy channel through which the expressions of God might flow. So these books of prophecy also contain history, poetry, and law, but their primary message is prophecy. Each writer, from Isaiah to Malachi, is a prophet of God. Today we make an artificial division of the prophets by designating them as major prophets and minor prophets. My friend, all of the prophets are in the major league as far as I'm concerned. And I don't think you can put any of them back in the minors. This artificial division was determined simply by the length of the book not by content. For some of the minor prophets are like atom bombs. They may be small, but their content is potent indeed. So these prophets not only spoke of events in the distant future, but they also spoke of local events in the immediate future. 
they had to speak in this manner in order to qualify for the prophetic office under God according to the Mosaic Code. Codes for the priest, the kings, and the prophets are given in the book of Deuteronomy, not the code for the prophet in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 20 to verse 22. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not happen or come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You shall not be afraid of him. Wow, that is an, an amazing yardstick. You see, if the local event did not transpire exactly as the prophet predicted, he was labeled a false prophet and was so treated. You may be sure that the message of the false prophet is not in the library of the inspired scripture, you see. The prophetic books are filled with events that are local and fulfilled. If you had lived in Isaiah's day, how would you have known that he was a true prophet? You would have judged him on his local prophecies. He not only spoke of events far in the future, like the first and the second coming of Christ, but he also spoke of local things that would happen in the near future. If his local predictions had not come to pass exactly the way they were given, he would have been recognized as a false prophet and stoned to death. The prophetic books are filled with local prophecies already fulfilled. That is amazing, my friend. All of the prophets gave local prophecies to prove that they were genuine. Remember that a sharp distinction needs to be drawn between fulfilled and unfulfilled prophecy. When any prophecy was given, at first, it was of course unfulfilled. Since the time the prophecies were given, many of them have been fulfilled. Now, one of the greatest evidences that these men were speaking the words of God is that hundreds of their prophecies have been fulfilled, fulfilled literally to this day. Now, men cannot guess the future. Even the weatherman finds it very difficult in determining or predicting the weather for 24 hours in advance, although he has the advantage of all sorts of scientific and mechanical gadgets and devices to assist him. The fact of the matter is that no weatherman that you and I listen to so intently would survive as a prophet in Israel. The law of compound probability forbids men from consistently foretelling the future. Each uncertain element which he adds decreases his chance of accuracy 50%. Now, the example of hundreds of prophecies which have been literally fulfilled has a genuine appeal to the honest mind and sincere seeker after the truth. Fulfilled prophecy is one of the infallible proofs of plenary verbal inspiration 
of Scripture. Let me illustrate this, my friend. Suppose I make a prophecy that it is going to rain tomorrow. I would have a 50-50 chance of being right because it's during the rain season. It is either going to rain or it is not going to rain. That is for sure. So it's a 50-50 chance. Now, I add another element to my prophecy by predicting that it will begin raining at 11 o'clock in the morning. My friend, when I go there, that reduces my chance of being right another 50%. But I still have a 25% chance of being correct. But I don't stop here. I not only say that it will start raining at 11 o'clock, but I also say that it will stop raining at 3 o'clock. I have reduced my chances again and have only a 12.5% chance of being right. If I keep adding uncertain elements until I have 300 prophecies, you know they would never be fulfilled. No man can guess like that. Only the Holy Spirit of God could give such information. A man would not have a ghost of a chance of being right that many times. And yet God's word has over 300 prophecies concerning the first coming of Christ. And all of them have been fulfilled literally. Isn't that amazing? Why did God give so many prophecies concerning the first coming of Christ to the earth? Well, there is a logical and obvious answer. The coming of the Lord Jesus Christ to earth was an important event. God did not want children of Israel to miss him. God marked him out so clearly that Israel had no excuse for not recognizing him when he was here on earth. Again, let me use a homely illustration. Suppose I'm invited to your hometown. You ask me, when you arrive at the airport or when you arrive at the bus terminus, how will I know you? I'll write you back and say, well, I am arriving on such such an airport at such such a time on such such a flight, or I will come on such such a bus. Then I go on to describe myself. I'll be wearing a pair of green checkered trousers and a blue striped coat. I will have a big yellow polka dotted necktie and a pink shirt with a large purple flower on it. I will be wearing one brown shoe and one black shoe and white socks. And on my head, you will see a, a derby hat and I will be holding a, a parrot in a cage in one hand. And with the other hand, I will be leading a jaguar on a chain. Well, when you arrive at the airport, do you think you would be able to pick me out of the crowd? I certainly think you would. That is exactly what God did. He marked out Jesus so that no one would miss him. When Jesus came to earth more than 2,000 years ago, those who had the Old Testament and knew what it said should have been waiting in the inn in Bethlehem or waiting for the news of his birth because they had all the information that they needed. When the wise men appeared looking for Jesus, the Israelites at least should have been interested enough to hitch a ride on the back of the camels to take a look for themselves. 
Oh, how tremendously important his coming was and how clearly God had predicted it. Now, the prophets were extremely nationalistic as well. They rebuked sin in high places as well as in low places. They warned the nation. The prophetic message had four major themes. The first one was exposing the sinful practices of the people. It required considerable courage to tell the people what they needed to hear instead of succumbing to the temptation of telling them what they wanted to hear. By the way, God's messengers could not compromise their harsh treatment of sin as sin, knowing that the only hope for the people was a humble turning to the Lord and acknowledging their guilt. Like watchmen who alerted the people of coming danger, their messages were very practical. Secondly, they were calling the people back to the moral, civil, and ceremonial law of God. They reminded the people about the character of God and urged them to trust him with all their hearts. God has a rich purpose for them, but they must believe and obey him. Thirdly, they warned the people of coming judgment. God must condemn the nation if its princes, priests, and people continue to arrogantly reject God's moral and spiritual principles. They are responsible for their disobedience and to their covenant commitment with God. Yahweh is the sovereign Lord of history, and the Gentile nations will also be judged if they rebel against his dominion. Fourthly, the prophets were anticipating the coming Messiah. Now, history is linear, not cyclical. It has a definite goal, and God will sovereignly move all things to a consummation in the messianic age. His name will be honored and his voice obeyed by all people of the earth. Biblical prophecy is unique because of its clarity and specific fulfillment. Over 300 Old Testament prophecies were precisely fulfilled by Messiah in his first advent, and over 400 more remain to be fulfilled when he comes again. To him all the prophets Bear witness. Acts 10 verse 43. In short, the prophetic message is twofold. Condemnation because of the sin of man, but consolation because of the grace of God. The prophets pleaded with the proud people to humble themselves and return to God. Fire and tears were mingled in their message, which was not one of doom and gloom alone. For they saw the day of the Lord and the glory to follow. All of them looked through the darkness to the dawn of a new day. In the night of sin, they saw the light of a coming Savior and Sovereign. They saw the millennial kingdom coming in all its fullness. Their message must be interpreted before an appreciation of the kingdom in the New Testament can be attained. The correct perspective of the kingdom must be gained through the eyes of the Old Testament prophets. So these Old Testament prophets are important. But again, let me highlight something else. The prophets were not supermen. They were men of passions as we are. But having spoken for God, 
their message is still the infallible and inspired word of God. This is substantiated by the writers of the New Testament. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 1 verse 10 to verse 11, Of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. Second Peter chapter 1 verse 15 to verse 21 says, Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And we heard his voice, which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed, as a light that shines in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of men, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. First Peter 1 verse 10 to verse 11. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables, when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory, when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And we heard his voice, which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so, we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed, as a light that shines in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of men, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. How else can you put it, my friend? Prophecy is by the inspiration of the Spirit of God. Therefore, I would like to say, the 17 prophetic books comprise actually about one-fourth of Scripture. They are very crucial from a theological and historical point of view. Yet their message and meaning evades more people than any other section of the Bible, principally because of neglect. My friend, do not neglect prophecy. I am expecting that as we go through the books of prophecy, we will enjoy and feed on the wonderful treasures that God has for you and for me. 
You can have copies of the notes and outlines used for these Living Word for Africa programs so you can follow them as you listen. For your copies, please send an email to info at twrafrica.org. Please say which book of the Bible you want them for and be sure to include your name and contact information. Let me repeat that email address for you. Info at twrafrica.org.